Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3ECR Streaming live on 3cr.org.au The program is podcast. So if nature calls, as your knocks on your door, don't despair. It is podcast, 3cr.org.au. Your Highness, your right royal empress, you're holding a tissue to your head. What have you done to yourself? I walked into a door. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. I believe it. It wasn't one of your ex- punk extravaganza musical no, no, things, no. you know. You no, were, it was all very tame. You were I literally, I did just walk into a door. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's possible. You are a tall, strong woman. Do we have a bill for the door repairs? No, from no, 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 the door managed to survive. Did it? Okay, that's excellent. Look, my name is Joe Stroskan. I'm talking shit, but we've got somebody who's going to talk real things in a minute. He knows nothing about what's going to happen to him for the next 55 minutes. He doesn't realise there's no music, there's no ads, there's nothing. It's just a conversation with Mr Anthony Amos. Yay! He's smiling, that's it. That's the end of the interview. Sorry, mate. Over. Good, good. That's, that's it. A, Piss off. It's the most applause I've ever had. Is it? Yeah. Look, look, Anthony, it's a simple interview. We ask two questions. You've got 55 minutes to answer. Yeah. The first one takes 10 seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah. The next one takes 50, 54 and 50 seconds. Okay? Easy. Yep. All right. Just to orientate the listeners, what year were you born? Uh, 1963. Just a youngster compared to me. But an old man compared to Dale, obviously. 63. You're going to drink during this interview, are you, Anthony? That means I've got to do a lot more talking. I usually don't do much. You realise that? Drinking coffee, yeah. You're drinking coffee. You can't stay awake, Dale. I don't understand. Well, liven up, Joe. All right. Okay, sir, where is the money? No, no, What's the first thing you remember on planet Earth? What's the first thing you remember? Um... My sister sitting on my back, and um, and I was sort of winded, mm-hmm. and um, I was in my my nana's garden in northern Tasmania, and I remember uh, that was the first time I remember seeing. But I was in a f- very flowery garden, but all I saw was big swishes of colour. Right. I wasn't like I could focus on individual and. Anyway, and as it transpired, I was 18 months old. So, And I found that out a bit later because there's an old photo of that event in my mother's photo album. And oh. she said, Anthony, at 18 months. So, yeah. yeah. I, so, Your sister wasn't trying to choke you or something? Ah, she was a bit of a bully, but, was you know. <laughs> yeah, picking on a little 18-month-old kid. You yeah. Know. yeah. How old is she now? She's about three or four years older than me, yeah. Uh, have you forgiven her? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. fair enough. You're only 18 months. So you were born in Tasmania? Uh, yeah. Where were you born? In uh, Burnie. Burnie. 
And uh, are your mum and dad still alive? No, my dad died uh, what, about 20 years ago. Right. And what type of father was he? He was good. Mm. Yeah. And, and mum? Yeah, she's good, yeah. She's a, she's a real greenie. Right. Um, that goes down the maternal line. Her uh, her mother was a avid gardener as well. Right, and they were both Tasmanians, or they came from somewhere? Uh, no, my dad was from Melbourne, and my, my mum was from uh, yeah Northern Tassie. Right, and and uh, so you, you can have a you can have yeah. a you can have a coffee. I can talk till the cows come home. He's now having a coffee. Our guest. He's had a <laughs> shut up day. Behave yourself, Joe. So Tassie was a lot different, of course, yeah. in those days. It was a uh, and where my mum was. What do you mean a lot different? When you're a small kid, when you're well, three or four. my mum was she was brought up in a very small village, right? So um, yeah, we're very isolated living. Um, everything's a lot more connected these days, of course. And in those days, you know, uh, each community was more or less isolated from each other. The communication was very limited, and so where was she living? Uh, they were living uh, in a place called Barrington, which is uh, about thirty k south of Devonport. Right. And, you know, a trip to Devonport for them in those days was a sort of a weekly or fortnightly event. So mm. it was a relatively big event. Now it's only a fifteen twenty minute drive. Right. But, yeah. Right. And and Dad, what came across from Melbourne? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad was he met her in. In Tassie, yeah, and they got mm. married, and right. yeah. And where you still live in Barrington? No, no, no. I, I live in uh, Melbourne. Melbourne, Melbourne now, now right, yeah, yeah. Right. But, but we we came back over to Victoria, so I spent a lot of my country youth in uh, in uh, a few towns in Victoria. Right. Getting back to life in Tasmania as a young boy, um, did you go to uh, preschool or primary school there? Well, that was in Victoria. Victoria, so yeah. you didn't have any education. No, but we but went we went back to Tassie when I was a teenager. Oh, right. no, 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 look, look. I we, did my we, high school we, years there. We do chronic... We, we've got 50 minutes, mate. Oh, okay. It's all about you, Anthony, so oh, unless yeah. you've had an exciting life. Oh, did you open me up, mate? Yeah, well, that's the whole <laughs> point about this. Weren't you warned? <laughs> Think of yourself as you're in a canoe and I'm paddling and occasionally I just... Paddle a different way, so we'll just ask questions. Yep. What, what we're trying to do is, Dale explained at the beginning of the program much better than I can. That we're just trying to show that radical activists come from all walks of life. They've got yep. all different experiences. You know, it's not as if you come from the same mould. Yeah, and, and it's a good way for people to you know identify what you're doing, what you've done, where you've come from, and it's it's also a permanent record. Also, in case you've got kids or something, I, I, sh- I should say that. I mean, my grandfather, um, my mother saw he was a redneck. He was a, he was a logger. A logger. So yeah, well, and, you know, was that a redneck in those days? Oh no, he, like he, a, he was. He, yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he's your classic redneck, and he was a nice guy. Like, yeah, and that, yeah, and because yeah. of that, I, I can relate to rednecks because yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not threatened by them. or sort no, of you no. know. You know where the term comes from? Uh, I guess it's a North American, North Americans. Uh, yeah, U.S. South somewhere is South, it? South. Yeah. yeah. It, it was the derogatory, derogatory term the slave owners call their poor white. Workers, oh, okay, because they're working in the sun and they got a, and you have a red neck. Yeah, okay, okay. From exposure well, to the sun, so it was a derogatory term for he, a, he, a, he had a he had a red neck, and yeah. you know, but you know, they would have had an interesting life. You know, if you think yeah. looking back in those days, they were going into forests that had, you know, uh, all around that north of the state, and I've been back to some of it, and mm. it's pretty mind blowing country. Yeah, yeah, and they wouldn't have had power saws. No, and we used to get all the old stories of you know him him you know living in those logging camps in the middle of nowhere, and you know the guys would get axe wounds and all sorts yeah, of wounds, have to yeah. stitch themselves up because there was no help, yeah. and yeah, it was hard hard yakka. Yeah, I remember that my uncle was telling me when my grandfather came across to the North Queensland cane fields in the nineteen twenties, they used to live in a tree, 
Oh yeah, yeah, been yeah. Cut down. They actually yeah, lived in the yeah. tree. That was their that was their accommodation. It's the same as uh, yeah. yeah, I've seen photos in South Gippsland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stables and ch- they had a church in one in South Gippsland. Mm. A um, yeah, yeah. Mm, hollow tree. So why did your family come back to Melbourne? Work, I assume. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. My dad, at the, he uh, was working for the Shell Company as right. a as a sales rep. So he right. basically got shifted over to Melbourne, and they lived there for a couple of years. And, and you, did you go to school in Melbourne? Uh, no, I, my before. first school memory was Shepparton. Right, right. So you came to Melbourne, and then what? You moved to Shepparton? Didn't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Uh, that was oh, I don't even know. You know, sixty, sixty-seven. My main memory is Shepparton. Uh, well, so it's going back. So. Was your family living in company homes, or did you have to rent? So? Uh, would have been uh, uh, would have been rental homes. Yeah, yeah. At, at the time, I think they purchased their first home in Shepparton. I could be wrong about that, but no, I, I, I right, think I think right. that was their their first. So you went to school in Shepparton? Uh, primary school, yeah, yeah, for a couple of years there. What was that like? Um, I haven't really thought about it that much. I, I think I did I did pretty well. My, my main memory of Shepparton was I saw the Murchison Meteorite, nineteen sixty eight. Tell us about that. I was just in the driveway at home and I felt this sort of, I don't know if it was a sonic boom, but I looked up in the sky and then this big flashing ball of just came flying out of the atmosphere and right. it cr- crashed just out of um, at Murchison, so, at, yeah, it's out of Shepparton. So that was, that was a pretty in- interesting sort of um, right. thing to you see. Must have thought it was the end of the world. Uh, no, no, no. Kids don't really. You know, nah. <laughs> they're not that. You know, we're, I think we're all pretty positive as kids, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else is Shepherd? Not not, not many much, memories. No, no. no, it was yeah. it was early primary school. And days, so, where'd so. you go after that? Then we went up to Wangaratta. Right. And did a, I did a few years high school there? That was. No, hang on, oh, then. sorry, uh, primary school. Sorry. Yep. yep. So that was, uh, and we had a nice little spot there um, on one of the creeks. Uh, uh, so that was good because we could go down the creek and yeah. hang out in nature. And yeah. were you able were you able to make friends easily because you were moving from school to school? Yeah, yeah it was uh, always a little bit stressful. Yeah. Uh, as you get older, it's more stressful than when you're younger. Yeah, I mm. never really had a problem. I mean, you it's pretty awkward for a couple of days, and then you you basically then sort of more or less. Fit it in. Fit in, yeah. Right. And did you finish your primary school in Wangaratta? Or? No, I finished it. Uh, wait, no, then we went up to Swan Hill. Right. And I lived, uh, I did, I think I did years four to six up there, up in Swan Hill. And what was that like? Many uh, memories, Swan Hill? Uh, more memories, yeah. Um, yeah, hard town. It was hard, a bit harder than Wangaratta, I think. What do you mean hard? Uh, just the people were harder, I think. Uh, I think there was less diversity of... Um, of what people did as a, for a living, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of grain farmers, and we lived opposite some some grain farmers, um, a lot of farming communities, uh, hotter and climate wise, right. a, a lot right. more harsh, particularly mm. in the summer. So we did a bit of hanging out by the by the Murray and the um, pool and all that down there um, mm. up at Swan Hill. Mm. Do you have any? Meetings with Indigenous kids at that stage, or yeah, there were kids in our in our in our class, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I used to uh, walk. There was a park in the middle of town there, and there was Aboriginal people in the park all the time. And mm-hmm. I remember one day we were stopped at a stop sign, and uh, old Aboriginal guy got got in the back seat, just opened the door, and sat That's in the back street. Yeah, yeah. He said, oh, "Can you take me home, mate?" You know, so, so my dad drove him home. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, did you excel at anything at primary school? Sport, running, talking. Uh, I was a pretty good runner at that time. Right. No, I was all, I was I was usually pretty good at school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So where did you start high school? Uh, Launceston. Launceston. So you went, your family went back to Tasmania yeah, after yeah, primary school. Yeah, yeah. So what's that, four primary schools? Uh, yeah, it would have been one, two, three. Yeah, four, yeah. Four. Yeah. Four, and you don't think that really had an impact on you? Um, it's hard to say. Did you, did you, have, you said you've got a sister. Did you got any other siblings? Two sisters, yeah. yeah and they went through the same yeah, thing? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No. no, I think, I mean, I think we are kind of lucky. I mean, I talk to people that have only been to one school in their right. life, and I think, well, we... We uh, we we shopped around a bit, I suppose. <laughs> Got a good education, but yeah, high yeah. school high school uh, Launceston and that right. that was interesting too. That was uh, um, looking back on it, yeah. So whole, what's that? The early eighties or late? 70s? Uh, would have been first year. Would have uh, high school seventy six. Seventy six. Right. Yeah. Well, things are moving in seventy six, aren't they? Well, they are. Yeah, and um, mm, interesting time. Did you? Uh, so, what was high school like? Did you spend that five years in Launceston High, or did you move? I uh, did. Well, four years at at, uh, at Riversdale, which is the high school, and then I did two years matric. So, right. in Tassie, the system is once you hit year eleven and twelve, they put you in a separate campus, campus right. which is a good idea, I think. Oh, it is a good idea. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, we had a high school. The wheels fell off for me around year nine. I think they do for a lot, a lot of people. I started, Why was that? Oh, I just started to get rebellious. Oh, I, I, I couldn't be stuffed, you know, doing a lot of the stuff that we were supposed to do. I sort of, oh, oh. my sister was a bit rebellious, my elder one. So I think right. and it was the time, you know. It was I mean, the time, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it certainly was. Being, so how, how, did that, how did that manifest itself, this rebellion? Uh, well, deliberately failing at school. That's deliberately failing. Oh yeah, yeah. I wanted yeah. to. I wanted to get the lowest marks in, in certain <laughs> classes and that. I, what, I what classes? What classes? Oh, there was a cu- couple of. I remember taking a couple of tests. Yeah, I, I, I was sort of self sabotage. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then yeah, my, my sister she was hanging out with bikies, so yeah. there was all all the all that sort of stuff going on, and um, and we had it. Do you think? Do you really think? Having changing all those primary schools didn't have an effect on your family. That moving constantly. Well, I mean, here you are, perfect family, and then year nine. Well, I don't know if we're perfect. Goes, well, I know, well, the way you were describing it, you know. And then year nine, everything comes off the rail. Your bo- your sisters, well, sorting could, with bikies. You want to fail? Well, it could have been. It could have been absorbing Tasmanian social life. It could, <laughs> right. it, it could have been. It, I mean, there's a lot of bad karma in Tassie. That, right. I mean, it probably is across the continent, but in Tassie. It was intense, and our school had a had a, a fair whack of um, uh, people with all sorts of problems. I remember we had a kid one day. Um, there was a murder up 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 the road at a block of flats, and uh, uh, the day after the murder, which openly went up to a guy and said, "I, oh, you know, I, I bet you murdered that girl." You know, blah blah. Mm. You know, laughing like a carriage just as a joke. Yeah, and it, and it was him. It was him. He, and how he, old were you then? Fourteen. And he was about the same age. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah. So and we had our all. So what did he say there? He just he looked shocked and oh. and just. He froze, and I thought, yeah. oh, that's a bit of a strange reaction. I didn't think anything of it, and yeah, yeah no, he was he was the guy. Yeah. So we had a lot of there was all sorts of sort of. I guess the school I was at, you had all sorts of social groups. You had mm-hmm. um, the country people, you had the the working class, you had the middle class, or you know, sort of mishmash of a school there. So we we had a, a bit of a diversity of uh, stuff going on at, at that time. But um, Tassie, uh, the, yeah, there's something that's. Uh, weird going yeah, on down right. there, but 
I can't elaborate. Well, you didn't really fail, did you? You got to matric. What happened? You were trying to get the lowest bark in classes, and then well, you told me you got to year 11 and 12. Yeah, well, year 11, well, I thought, well, I had my friends going into a, 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 a apprenticeships, and mm. then I, uh, then I had a, I had a uh, major back accident. Right. So what I, happened? I stuffed my back up bad. How did you do that? Uh, skateboard, skateboard, S- speed wobbles on the highway. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you fell on a curve or something. Uh, no. Just hit, hit, hit the ground hard, and right. I was a pretty good runner. And then uh, I noticed after a couple of months I couldn't run, then I couldn't walk, and right. yeah, went to a chiropractor. In um, yeah, they didn't have a clue what was no, going on in, no. in Launceston, so flew over to Melbourne, and, and yeah, they knew within five minutes. The specialist he knew. I was just thinking, shit. So yeah, you're, yeah. About, you're on the verge of paralysis. Obviously. I was, I was gone, yeah. gone for all money. So yeah. So. What hospital was this? Oh, that was uh, what was uh... the Alfred? Marsh. No, no, no. It was uh, uh, the Avenue. It's the a, Avenue, it was private a hospital. Private hospital, hospital in. Um, right. right. So I was in there for about oh, I don't know two months or something. Did you have surgery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What, what was the problem? Did you have a what, fracture pressing on the spine? Uh, well, well, as I understand it, I haven't looked back, but I, the disc split, yep. and so whatever was in the disc came out. And pre- pressure on the spinal cord. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so he, had to, he had to clean it. It was yeah. serious. Yeah, it's called a central cord compression. Oh, right, okay. That's, that's the medical term. Is that like a similar to uh, what the horse riders would have got, you know, like falling off a horse? Like sometimes. A... Sometimes you get fracture dislocations and you rip the spinal cord apart, but, it, but in your your case, you would have had a uh, a disc injury, and the disc is the little rubber rubber in between yep. the bones, and yep. it was pushed backwards. Oh, lovely! And it, and it would have pressured the spinal. What level was you? Thoracic, I assume. Uh, Mid back, not yeah, lower back. Lower, lower back. Yeah. yeah, and that would have pressed on the spinal cord, and that's yeah. why you were starting to get paralysis. And if that hadn't been operated, you would have become a paraplegic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no yeah. that's right. So, yeah, yeah, so I'm still doing physio for it and stretches and stuff every right. day. Did you have any so. sensory changes or just loss of power? Um, no, just just couldn't move. Couldn't move, right, mm. right. And they couldn't pick that up at Launceston. <laughs> that's a very simple diagnosis. But you well, said you well, got here and fought. What, what, who sent you across? Your dad or mum? Well, we went to the the general practitioner down, and yeah. he was seeing a gradual decline. I mean, he had yeah. no idea, and yeah. he suggested going to a chiropractor. Right. <laughs> and I remember I went to the chiropractor, and uh, he said, "I'm manipulating you know, well, well, problems." Well, they did a couple of, and, and um, yeah. it wasn't getting. But I went back to him, and one day, um, this is why I don't trust chiropractors. He said, "Look, you're really lucky today. We've got one of the leading chiropractic experts. He's from Denmark or somewhere yeah. in Europe, yeah, yeah. and he wants to have a look at where." And they did manipulate me for uh, you know five uh, five minutes or whatever it was, and I got up out of. The, I managed to get up, and, and I, for collapsed. the first time in months, I had no pain, and then right. bang, bang. Yeah. yeah, and then it, the the uh, look on the world uh, <laughs> champion chiropractor wasn't good. And I think the doctor basically said, "Listen, this is too much. We you, we've got to get over to Melbourne." I was pretty lucky because I wouldn't have wanted to go through that surgery in, in Tassie. No, I don't no. think. And obviously, you would have had private insurance too if you went to the Avenue. Well, I didn't have. My parents must have had, must but, have had yeah, private yeah, insurance but, to cover you. Yeah, yeah, but my mum was. Yeah, well, she was. Uh, Did they come? Your mum come across with you? Or uh, how old were you then? About 16? 15, 16. 15. Yeah, or did you spend two two months on your back in the Avenue by yourself? Uh, yeah, about a month, I think, there, but two months beforehand, sort of, mm, yeah. yeah. So then yeah. Uh, that's because it could be why I've ended up uh, being a bit active because you start to think about things when you when you have yeah. time out like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a pivotal moment in your life, you're thinking, changing direction because you said you were going on a down self-destructive path. Uh, yeah, no, I had, a, I had a mistrust of authority happening. Mm. I had a big mistrust of... Um, 
uh, what would you call, club life, I guess, Um, mainly hierarchical male structures. Mm. We lived opposite a golf course, Mm. and uh, we were uh, members of that golf course. So I I saw how this... this, um, these groups of men would operate, and I didn't like it because I, you know, they try and get you aside and tell you how you should live your life. And mm. I guess I, I was seeing a lot of hypocrisy, and um, mm. and around that time too, then we started to get uh, all the punk rock started to filter through the um, mm. into the consciousness. And yeah. oh, hang on, we don't have to put up with this crap. Mm. So I got I got banned out of there pretty soon. And out of the golf club. Yeah. That's a badge of honour, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. well, you'd save a lot of money. Well, your uh, father would. Oh, no, no, it was only cheap. It would, it, oh, it, cheap. No, no, it would have only cost, you know, 50 bucks a year. No, it journey. wasn't that it wasn't wasn't that type no, of golf club. No, it wasn't. No, it was, it was almost. The, it wasn't the Royal Lawn System. <laughs> no, well, they're not as exclusive. It's only a little town, Lawn System. It's yeah, sort of uh, yeah. 50,000, oh. so it's not like Melbourne. So when you came back, uh, you came back to Tasmania, how long do you think it took you to get physically better? Um, three months. Three months, and uh, is that when things started to change for you at school? Or um, no, I'd actually I think I'd started changing before that. Right. Yeah. In, right. in terms of school, I couldn't write an essay. I couldn't string an essay. I didn't know what I was doing in school. This is mm. my trick. Yep. Was, what the yep. hell am I doing? And then we had an essay I had to write, and. Um, I was struggling with it, and then one day it clicked. I did. It, I wrote a really good essay. I don't know why it happened like that. I just it just clicked, and from mm. there everything just sort of more or less clicked into place. place. And so, I, right. Yeah. And I, I wish now, looking back on it, I wish I would have concentrated more on science. You know, when right. I was in high school, because there was a whole he, ha, a bit of stuff I missed. Um, right. So, so you matriculated. Yeah, yeah. What was that year? Uh, what was that about eighty three or something? And you were 82. still living at home then, I assume. Uh, no, I, no. I'd, I was living with my sister at that time. Right. What. In, closer to school, or was it just family issues? Uh, well, uh, well, Dad had to come over to Melbourne, right, so right, yeah. Right. So we were, we were, I was there for about nine or ten months with her, um, living yeah, there. So, right, was, right. so, what did you do once you matriculated? Uh, floated around a bit, really. Right. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Had a lot of friends that were doing apprenticeships. I wasn't really into uh, apprenticeships. I wasn't much good with the hands and all that. Right. right. Uh, so you know, just 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 hung out basically. Um, what does that entail in, in Launceston? Uh, it, was a, it was a lot of drinking. Right. Um, you know, in those days there was a fair lot of ganja smoking yeah. and um, yeah. all that. Um, yeah, just pretty much bored, bored teenagers. Right. I, I, so I, what, no future tattooed on your forehead, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, the, the workplace didn't really appeal to me. I, no. I, I just... Yeah, spent, I mean, I did have attempts to work, and uh, I, again, I kept seeing this same thing I was seeing in the golf club. These these bosses and these um, sort of looking back middle managers that mm. would be like you scratch the surface, and this you know fascist or something comes out of them. So, mm. Mm. and I was almost like I was pushed out, and, and I sort of opted out of that. And um, what, what type of work were you doing? Oh, was manufacturing, my, logging. Or no, what? no, I was mainly just clerical stuff right, in, in right. offices and stuff, yeah, and it's just yeah, not n- not what I'm cut out to be. But you know, a lot, a lot of at that time too, there was a recession, so mm. there was and jobs in Tassie aren't easy to get anyway. No. Like, yeah. And then I thought after a bit of time, well, maybe I should go and study. So I came over. Well, I came over to Melbourne and um, did an environmental degree. Where'd you do that? 
uh, RMIT. What made you choose an environmental degree? Uh, good question. I was interested in planning. I was interested in um, uh, urban planning, and I thought town planning. And then I thought, no, this sounds this sounds better. I was sort of intrigued about environment. It might be something how I was brought up, you know, near waterways and creeks, and liking to get out there and have a look around. And and I ended up doing this course. So it was. Um, what was the course? It was socio-environmental assessment and policy. Good course. So, you need five words for a good, yeah, it was good a, title. It was a Bachelor of Social Science. We yeah. were the first year through, so right. yeah, dealt with uh, yeah, so looking at environmental issues from a social. Um, uh, well, that, that would have been a radical course to take in those days, because at the beginning, wasn't it, in the universities? It, uh, it was our, the first year the course yeah. had been run. Yeah, we were the yeah. first year through. So, um, how, how many students were there? You think about thirty? Thirty were they an interesting bunch? Yeah, yeah, they were. I don't mm. think any of them have re- in my year anyway have kept up the green stuff, which right. is interesting. Mm. But anyway, that's. Yeah. Yeah. And did you live around the CBD in your RMIT? Or? No, no, I was living out. I lived out back out. I went back to my parents' place for a couple of years. Where's that? Just, uh, that was in Waverley. Right. Yeah. Right. So right. I, I used to have to get the train in and all that every day. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so it was a bit of a culture shock coming to a big city from a little country town. Mm-hmm. Well, the wave was a little bit like a little country town in those days, wouldn't it be? Yeah, but from from my perspective, you know, mm. it was uh, you know you couldn't walk, and you had the public transport. We weren't right. so much used to all that sort of stuff. Right, right. So where did that? Have your coffee. Have yeah. your coffee. I'll, I'll I'll blow raspberries or something. You know, it's okay. <laughs> I told you there's no intermission, no music. That's all right. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, you yeah. get used to it and you'll find out at the end of the interview that you've, you know, all these things you didn't mention, but that's all right. <laughs> so where did this degree lead to? What did it lead to? Uh, not much. I finished I finished the degree and I was sort of more or less sort of in a void for, for about a year, you know. What year was this? Oh, it would have been, uh, what year are we up to now? What, I finished uh, 86. Right. So around 87, I had another sort of th- year thinking, what the fuck, what am, what, what am I going to do? And then, um, and then um, about 87, 88, then I thought, oh, look, enough of this. I've got to use my skills in something that, that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm skilled at something. Surely yeah. I can find something. That I can well, it is Melbourne. It's not lawn system. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, that was what about eighty seven. I don't. Oh well, you know, I was. I was li- we were living a pretty hedonistic lifestyle, I guess. At that, well, I was in share houses and stuff, and we, mm. we, we were having a pretty good time. And I think there was a few of us just trying to scratch around, trying to get a bit of direction. And then about eighty eight, a guy called uh, John Seed came through Melbourne, and yeah, that was the spark for me. I, I thought I was think I was ready. And re- well, tell us, re- tell ready us about him. Why was he? Why was he such an influence on you? Well, he, he came down. He was from the Rainforest Information Centre up in up in Lismore, so he was, uh, and he was also pushing a concept of deep ecology, which um, that was his that was his philosophical framework. Anyway, he gave a lecture at our, at our Melbourne University, and I went along to that. And he said, "If you want to get involved, I understand there's a group that's formed in Melbourne. Um, get along and support support it." So I went the next week. To the Rainforest Action Group. So at the, this was been eighty seven, eighty eight. I can't remember the exact right. dates, right. and that was about to launch into a, a, a massive campaign on um, tropical timber imports. Mm. Okay, look, it's four thirty exactly. This is Radical Australian Community Radio Three CR, streaming live on three cr dot org dot au. Our special guest is Mr. Anthony Amos, 
the program is podcast, so if you miss bits and pieces, don't despair. It's on 3cr.org.au, the podcast. There you are, Anthony. This is when you should have had your drink. I should have, yeah. You should have. <laughs> well, that's what happens, you know. You miss opportunities. That's what life is like. We All the missed opportunities. So you're still not working, mate. Um, no, I've just I've had I've had a bit of work uh, mm. in the last year, which is not uh, now, now then uh, then. Uh, what's that? Eighty eight. Yeah. Uh, no, I did I did some time at the state library of all places. What'd you I, do? I found there? a bit of. I had friends from uni who were, ended up were carrying bags for people. That's fair enough. It's and an honest the, living. And then we got involved with uh, with the reference section, which was collecting books and all that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, and I always treated well at the time. See, I was active, and I always treated well. I need a means. I need to be able to survive. You know, work. So I thought, well, I'll do this and keep active in my in my spare time. Mm. And I've basically kept that ever since. That sort of philosophy, yeah, uh, which is hard as you get older because you've got to. Oh, that's right. Nobody wants to employ an old bastard. Yeah, oh, I haven't had much trouble the last few years. No, but, um, experience, experience. We'll go. We'll go back to. Uh, this rainforest action group that you joined. Yep. How did you feel about joining it initially? Were you hesitant, or did you feel as if you found your patch? Or? Yeah, no, I'd found the patch. In I was in, and and, and I was it was an interesting because uh, there's a lot of people feeling the same way. So we put a lot of this very positive uh, energy into um, into direct action and highlighting the plight of uh, you know the world's rainforest. So um, we targeted uh, importers. And yeah, well, within a few years, we actually I did some stats. We cut the trade by about eighty percent, right. and cost the industry about a hundred and something million bucks a year. Which how is how many of you were there involved in this campaign? Initially, there was a handful. It was actually kickstarted by a, a old friend of mine, Charlie Daniels. He mm-hmm. was actually involved back way back in the um, early eighties, and he was a uh, he was a, a printer. He's a man you should have a talk to sometime too. He um, he used to print all the alternative media for well not all of it but a heap of stuff right, was right. come through his printing press. So mm. we had a printer ready to so he was printing all the all the literature and um, we were into uh, nonviolent direct action. So we over the years we did a few hundred direct actions, um, uh, ship actions, swimming in front of the Yarra, all all, all that well, sort of describe, stuff. I remember I remember a lot of these actions. But just describe to our younger listeners. What direct action actually meant in those days? What did you do? Uh, well, we'd, we'd uh, if you wanted to do a ship action, we'd we'd uh, we'd actually uh, well, essentially you'd swim out in the in front of the ship and try to stop it hmm. as it was coming down the arrow. As as a complete media, we knew it would attract media because of the danger of it. Right. So it would involve planning planning the events that went around that. So right. um, and we had all you know we had hundreds of people in the group in a in a very short time. time. So that you know and they were all delegated tasks. So there'd be media, mm-hmm. there'd be police liaison. Uh, there was a lot of liaison with the wharfies and mm-hmm. and the union. I think the uh, the union movement put bands on 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 some of the timber mm-hmm. and unloading the timber. Uh, on and on it went. Um, so why do you think it? Caught the public imagination that particular uh, um, campaign. Well, eighties the there was a uh, tail end of the eighties. There was a big upswing in environmental consciousness. I, I don't know where it came from, but it, it came out of left field. I think. I mean, stuff had been bubbling away. In a musical context, it'd be the same as uh, you know, when Nirvana cracked big time. That all this great music bubbling away for a decade mm. or so, and then all of a sudden, wham! And I think. Mm. Um, 
there was a similar thing with uh, with at that time. I mean, um, like I said, we were getting hundreds of people sort of at a meeting. It was almost I don't know. It was almost like the positive energy was attracting positive energy, and mm. um, people wanted to do something. And um, it was and it was a really uh, for uh, what would you call it ideologically sound. There, there wasn't any control freaks in the group. Everything was consensus. So that controlling aspect mm. came a bit later. So you didn't get some of the uh, more minor French political parties try to take over the movement well, for their own? Well, they couldn't. No. It was on... So how's it structured? Because this is a uh, big problem a lot, of, a lot of small movements face. Well, it was uh, loosely structured, let's put it that way. Right, N- right. No bosses, no leaders. Right. Uh, it was based... I think Charlie had based a lot of the stuff on a similar philosophy to Earth First in mm. the States, and that, mm. that, they were really loose. No leaders, no, no one to identify as the mm. head-on show. Everything was, was agreed by consensus. Mm. Um, it was a good model. It was good. It was um, it was cumbersome at times. It, uh, troubles with consensus. The bigger the group, the more people that want to come in, and mm. and mm. potentially you you can be open to di- uh, agitators who come in and have an agenda, which does you know, and just slow the process down. But we did really well, and then um, around we were also heavily influenced by the non-violent, the Gandhian stuff, and that was interesting in itself because that actually uh, contradicted some of the Earth First um, stuff. And mm. uh, But it was without the Gandhian f- philosophy, the non-violence, a lot of those actions wouldn't have got as big as they did. But in the end, that uh, strictness of, of, non-vi- of non-violence uh, effectively strangled a lot of the um, energy that was there. Mm. We, uh, we found it in the end it was constricting. Mm, mm. And it ended up, um, I think it uh, it burned out, and I think some of the NVA stuff helped it burn out. It's, it's arguable could have that sustained itself on Earth First Energy. It could, maybe it could have. I'd, we don't know, but well, maybe it burned out because you were partially successful in what you. What well, you, we got eighty percent of the way there, yeah, yeah but it imploded, yeah. and unfortunately, it did because uh, you know uh, because in the nineties, the Indonesian government got right into the, uh, their clearance of rainforest was dwarfing what was going on in Malaysia for paper, and we could have kept it going, but you know it's hard to maintain a group for for um, you know a lengthy period of time. So that burned out. You know, what uh, one two burned out about ninety one, ninety two. So, what type of work were you doing? We're still in the library too. To yeah, sustain, in the so. library, and then I was spending mm. time on the dole too because right. I've ended up, uh, you know, this the activism can become all consuming. Yeah. So yeah. in the end, it's like, well, hang on, I'd rather just spend my time doing this and be poor than having to carry books around and stuff. So, so yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And did um, how shall I put this, Anthony? Did uh, relationships loom large in your life at that stage, or were you more committed to the cause? Uh, pretty much committed to the cause. Uh, I met my partner in '93. Outside, she was outside of the movement completely, which is good. I'd, well, that's interesting, isn't it? I I had a philosophy too. I didn't want to mix. Mm. I didn't want socially. To, yeah. I didn't want to. Well, no, we were friends. So socially, mm. I didn't want to ever get involved with relationships inside groups. I could, uh, it was a bit like mm. doing that at work. You know, it's, yeah. it's going to get messy soon. It's going to impact on you. Right. So right. I, I was always pretty adamant. I'd, if I was interested in someone, I'd be outside the group. Right, right. And that happened in '93. About '93. Yeah. I've been with her since. So that's been good. Oh, that is a good. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's Twenty-three years. 
Any yeah. children or? No, she had a couple, so yeah. I, yeah, I didn't. Ha- uh, and uh, no, we we didn't have kids, but no, you know. no, no. Well, you had, you're looking after kids, so it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, same thing. People don't re- seem to realise if not, they're not your biological kids. You're still doing all the work. So That's right. In yeah, the relationship. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's important. So, so did things changed for you after you you know you, you shacked up with your partner in terms that you've got. Greater responsibilities in terms of your work life, or uh, it did and it didn't. Um, uh, I could still survive. Uh, I mean, my partner was very supportive of what I did. She was ideological on those white wavelengths, so mm-hmm. she was uh, happy for me to keep doing my activism as long as I was working in a in a in a positive uh, way. And you know, she was quite happy for me to keep keep doing that. So, mm-hmm. and I'd pick up odd jobs here and there. So. Mm. Although I wasn't bringing much money in, I, I mean, because I was active and doing stuff that were seen to be a, um, mm. a benefit to society or whatever, mm. she, she was quite happy. So, she what type is. of things were you doing then in the, in the after the Rainforest Action uh, Group? In action. terms of work? No, no. In terms of activities, what type of activities? Oh well, when Rag folded, I, I then uh, went to over to, into. We formed our forest group in Friends of the Earth, mm-hmm. so we formed a forest network group. So you joined Friends of the Earth by now, had you? Yeah, yeah. The Rag basically dissolved, right. and the whatever survived was was actually uh, filtered down into Foe, and Foe picked up with that, and we started a pretty big forest collective. So that took up about. Uh, the next eight years of my life. And so what did that forest collective do? Based on similar stuff to what RAG was doing, but looking at, at uh, local forest issues. Mm. Um, so yeah, heaps of direct actions. Um, what type of direct action? What do you mean by direct action? Uh, uh, well, you know, the, probably the most famous one was that uh, the, where the, pre- the police used the pressure holds on ANX, yes, the yes. DCNR uh, blockades, a lot mm. of it based on non-violence. Um, a lot of forest protests down in places like East Gippsland. Um, uh, yeah, we went through. I oh, looked. There's there's hundreds of, of protests that we were doing at that time. Um, this is right through the 90s. Mm. Um, you think you're effective? Yeah, yeah. I think we were very effective. I mean, we we had the, the government. The if you look at the wood chipping issue, it was a big issue in the 90s, and that was a lot of that was ridden off the back of what the direct action activists were doing, either in the bush or in the city. Um, and once those direct actions stopped, uh, the, the media lost interest or whatever, and it started to fizzle a bit after that. And it's, the forest movement's been basically bogged down since since those since those times. Actually, our group more or less went for about eight or nine years, and uh, so I was involved with that. And we put in we I started we put on a national forest conference, and um, at that we invited indigenous delegates to come in and speak, and then. I thought, well... What was that, around 2000? Or? No, that was 94. 94, right. And we'd already... Bragg had already been um, uh, working with Indigenous people. Uh, I remember uh, Robbie Thorpe, uh, mm. he, he came and spoke a few times. And what got Rag was we were focusing on international issues, but then Robbie said, well, what are you doing for the people here? So, uh, you know, Rag split into local international groups and, and five kept uh, Forest Network was working on local issues too. And then around the mid-90s, we started the Indigenous Solidarity Group that came out of um, Friends. So we had two big um, conferences we organised. That was in the 90s. But they were big, really big. Mm. Uh, what, what were the main um, discussion points? Uh, the main, main one was Aboriginal sovereignty. 
Mm-hmm. Um, accept that if you want to work with us, accept Aboriginal sovereignty and, and, you know, everything should work well. The second one, we were lucky. We had Larry Walsh, who, who was a key organiser, and he, he got us the venue down on the banks of the Maribyrnong, and we had about 600 people rock up to that. It was it was huge. We had a little collective going there for about a, a nine months, 12 people, um, and we pulled off this amazing event. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. What we want to do is open up the dialogue between Aboriginal environment movement seeing if we can work on issues and um yeah so there was that was successful you think well there was it was successful the event was successful what we really wanted to see was long-term long-term connections established uh and um probably there was about seven or eight that opened doors that opened and they closed pretty quickly but there was one the key i think the key success was the uh the uh, elders that came down from uh, Cooper Pedy mm-hmm. to stop the waste dump being built right. up. In, and from our conference, there was a few people went up and actually lived up there and started an environment group up in Cooper Pedy. And, mm, that's uh, not an easy task. I've been there. <laughs> n- n- no, n- not an easy task. But anyway, that, they actually won that battle. So that mm. was, uh, that was a, a, a key, uh, just mm. a, you know, it was a basically just create mm. networking opportunities, I guess, for... Mm. Um, mm-hmm. For people that, but that burnt out our little group, so we, our group imploded after that, which is unfortunate. Um, so when was that? It was uh, end of '98. So what was going to happen then was we wanted another group to take up the ISG uh, right. banner, and I think Faux Brisbane said they were going to take it on, organise something up there, but that didn't eventuate for some no, reason. And no. yeah, it took like I said, this took us nine months to, to just organise. Yeah, and yeah, twelve lived on the premises, and we yeah. had absolutely nothing. I mean, mm. there was no. We had fundraisers, couldn't raise a, a buck or whatever, and we, in the end, the body shop came through with a bit of money, and we mm. broke even at the end of the conference to to the cent. Mm. I mean, we, to the well, yeah, well, I like to say cent. It was, it was about one or two dollars. Yeah. Mm. So no, it, it was good. It achieved what we wanted to do, and um, mm. yeah. so what did you do after '98? Uh, then I got involved, and I'm still down there in the Stresleckies. I'm, we've been campaigning down there, a couple of us down there. Like you live down there? Or? No, no, I no. travel down there a fair bit. So we've been trying to get a, a rainforest reserve. Why do, why, do we, why do we need a rainforest reserve? Uh, well, the, the, well, first of all, most Victorians wouldn't know we've got rainforest, so tell us about that. Well, this is cool temperate rainforest. The Stresleckies is the uh, most depleted bioregion in Victoria. Um, the history of that. So, where's the Stresleski? Just to uh, southeast, focus. southeast of Melbourne, about two hours drive. Sort of, if you go to Morwell, right. look south. It's between sort of the Prom and um, Morwell. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you go to Phillip Island, that's the Stresleskis. There, you know, the hills that you see around Phillip. So it spreads over a huge area of land, mm-hmm. and it's essentially the vegetation's been wiped out. Was wiped out by the eighteen nineties, largely big fires and whatever clan clearing, and there's patches of rainforest and forest that have uh, somehow survived. Are they on private property or public? Land? It was public Real. public land, and then it got privatised by Kennet. Mm-hmm. And so we were in. Well, anyway, so out of all our work, we've um, the state government agreed in two thousand six to grant us this nine thousand hectare reserve, and we're still waiting. Um, still waiting. Yeah, it's about to be signed off. But, right, know, right. So that's a part of the reason. I can't drop a campaign that we've spent so much time on. Well, that's right. And so part of that... Well, people forget that, doesn't it? People think radical activity is a flash in the pan. No. But it isn't. It's a consistent action that's after right. action. Uh, uh, 
on the same yeah. campaign. And yeah, you know, and ninety nine percent of the time it's unpaid work. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realise that either. And, and there's not much glory at the end of it. No, no, we'll we'll just get a reserve, and you know, mm. our mm. names won't be recorded. Not that I want it to be, but I think on another level, it's me sort of undoing some of the work my grandfather did, you know what I mean? It's right. like... Well, you think you've got a responsibility for your grandfather's actions? Um, I think, yeah, I think in some sort of way, yeah. I think your family line, I think th- I think there is a bit of responsibility there. So um, maybe in this way, this can repair some of the damage that was done via what he was doing. And on a, another level, I'm working a lot on pesticides too. I've, I've been really interested in that I one. just want to go... I'll go that in a minute. I just want to have your coffee. Have your coffee. Yeah, no, you're right. Have your coffee. I'll ask. I'll ask. I'll make a long-winded question. So, once the reserve is signed off, what are people? Are people will they be able to visit? And what? Yeah, what will yeah. they see? Why is it? Why have you spent so much of your life fighting for this? Uh, well, we were. Well, yeah, back I was in the rainforest action. We were interested in rainforest. Then we started looking at Victorian rainforest and uh, realised how little there is. And we thought, well, this stuff survived so long. We should we should be protecting this as much as possible. Uh, it's you know it's these v- vital uh, refuges for these uh, for uh, for a variety of species. The uh, rainforest in Victoria, its biggest threats fire. So, um, you know, it was all rain. We were all covered in rainforest a couple of, you know, 80 million years ago, and it's basically the eucalypts have moved in. The continent's become more dry, and the fact that this stuff's here at all, it's, 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 it's a real miracle, really. So what would they see? What would they see that they wouldn't see anywhere else in Victoria if they go down there once, once it's declared a... Oh, you, well, you, well, you'll have to get the signage to know where you are because it's a very confusing part of the world down there. There's roads going off left, right and centre. Um, but, but when you get there, what would... What, you'll see some... Well, if you drive into, say, College Creek, you'll mm-hmm. see... Uh, you'll, uh, this is the Grand Ridge Road. You'll see some beautiful mountain grey gums, uh, hundreds of feet high on the side of the road. And then uh, if you veer into College Creek, you'll see some... Uh, areas that were logged under this agreement, which we didn't agree to, but anyway, uh, that got logged. And it's, that's about ten year reveg. And if you go into the heart of the of the of the uh, catchment, you'll come across the rainforest, which will be in narrow in narrow gullies, and old Myrtle Beach, um, big old trees. Um, you know what we want to see is that it evolved to its natural where it's going to, without human intervention, I guess. Right. And what type What type of animals would uh Live there? Uh, well, there's koalas and powerful owls and y- yellow gliders and all sorts of stuff. I mean... Um, it's a whole ecosystem. Tiger quolls, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. So as that work on the rainforests has, con- uh, has sort of lessened, I'm sort mm. of now into this... I'm into the koala world and um, right. and the, uh, the pesticides. So... In South Gippsland, the koalas, it's the only endemic koala population in Victoria and South Australia. The rest of them are inbred from a couple of individuals that were transferred to French Island in the 1890s mm-hmm. and Phillip Island in the 1930s. So this is the last remnant population of the animal left on planet, well, on um, in Victoria. Mm. So at the moment, we're mapping its habitat. And, uh, How do you do that? Uh, well, we're working in with a scientist from New South Wales, a guy called Steve Phillips. So mm. we've got a um, it's a sat plot methodology. So you go into a um, you go you get your topo map. You get two hundred and fifty meter grid points. Mm-hmm. 
You go to the 250 metre grid point. The whole each, 250. Each, well, no, no. Well, if you get a top home map, yeah. there'll be a corner where there's a grid. So yeah. that, that's one point. Yeah. Yeah. You, if there's trees there, you, you walk to it. Uh, then you measure, uh, you do 30 trees and you look for scats. Mm-hmm. Then you get a... Shit. Shit, koala Thank shit. You. That's right, right. yeah. Yes. And then what you do then is you tally it up on a sheet. Yep. And then that's that. And then you go to another plot. And you and through the, anyway, he's he's done a statistic. Does he does he does he do DNA analysis on the, uh, the, the, We've been getting no diversity or there's a uh, there's a research from Monash Uni who's mm. who's we've been sending scats to, yep. so she's been doing the the um, the, uh, the the DNA analysis and yeah two there's two distinct uh, populations there's the Streslecki koala and mm. there's also the Gippsland plains right. South Gippsland koala, right. so my yeah my job for the last few months has been going out and. Um, monitoring all these sites through South Gippsland and uh, Streslecki. So I've got to go down to a site tomorrow mm-hmm. and get back into it, which right. would be good. I like doing the work. It's good. So it's, it's lonely work? Uh, no, no, I'd, I'd, uh, I've done it with people. I'd, mm. it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. You're out there in the forest. You, the, the big trouble is the tree identification. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to no. I- identify eucalypts, but no. some of them hybridise into each other, and oh. um, yeah, no, it's really, really tricky. Uh, mm. Sometimes, sort of fifty percent of the time, it's fine, but yeah, no. there's times no. when you're just sitting there going, "Oh my god, oh, what is it?" <laughs> yeah, we've had a few botanists melt down in the f- yeah. yeah because it is, it is, it is. I had the top botanist in the state, the rainfall. Yeah. He just said, oh, yeah, "Eucalypts, they're very, very tricky." <laughs> now you said you've moved into pesticides. Why pesticides? Pesticides. Well, as I was in forest issues, I was looking at, uh, as that evolved, everyone was saying, get into plantations. And I was thinking, uh, okay, well, what's, you know, is this as good as what they're saying? And then sure enough, I realised, well, they're heavily doused with, with pesticides. And so what, what, so are there many plantations in Victoria these days? I yeah. Yeah, there's bottom a lot. hasn't fallen out of the industry at this stage. No, the, I mean the real interest for me there was a, a series of birth deformities at Yarram back in there was right. a, in late seventies, mm-hmm. and that was associated with spraying two four five T. Right, and uh, there was uh, I think four or five babies were came out deformed, and uh, the, everyone was saying this is the sprays that they've been using. So two four five T that was aerial sprayed yep. for uh, on the plantations of Victoria for ten years between sixty eight and seventy eight. And um, so, uh, yeah, my eyes were starting to open a little bit on that. And so from that work, I've been doing a fair bit of mapping and stuff. And then uh, I've got into more agricultural chemicals as well, the mm-hmm. stuff they're spraying so, so, crops. Uh, are we using chemicals in this country that are, say, banned in other countries? Um, yeah, well, there'd be chem- chemicals being used in Australia that you know, in some other countries are banned, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um so, um, yeah, the big key one at the moment is atrazine. Which What's is, that? It's a triazine herbicide. So it's made by a company called Syngenta, a Swiss company, and um, it's not allowed to be used in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. The Swiss government said, no way you're <laughs> going to use this here. So I've just done a bit of a study looking at the um, main pesticides in Australian waterways. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the, uh, what do you mean? What? There are pesticides in the waterways? Yeah. What, runoff? Yeah. I thought it only happened in Cairns. No, no, it's all, <laughs> all, oh, you wind me up. No, all over the place. <laughs> the other one you are. I mean, a lot of people don't realise that. You, you, they think you just spray it and it's, they don't realise what happens to the yeah, spray. Yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've talked to guys who yeah. spray for a living and they've said that. And I yeah. said, oh, geez, that's a good point. It gets in the water. So it <laughs> runs off on the, oh, right. <laughs> that's right. 
That's true. People don't think that way. So the key one in Australia is Atrazine and uh, the what in, in the waterways in the and another close one, especially for Melbourne, is Simazine. They're closely related. So, so if you're out the country and you see this pristine creek, yeah, there's a good chance it's laced with that. Uh, depends what's going on in the catchment. And the right. other the other thing you've got to consider too, which throws a bit of a spanner, is spray drift. What uh, spray? Oh, when the sprays are drifting. So even if you're in a, what you yeah. think's pristine, yeah. what is actually coming down? And a lot of the pesticides also get. Uh, sucked into the hydrological cycle. Right. So they'll go up in the atmosphere and come back down 50 k's away as rain. Right, right. So, and we've had uh, work done in the Streslek as the EPA did some testing down there at a friend's creek and she's got nothing up in her creek except forestry. She had all these potato sprays coming in and the nearest potato crops are 30 k's away. Right, right. So no, it's a bit, yeah, it's interesting. There's a whole whole cocktail of stuff. So, um, Do you think, mm. it's, you think this uh, life of activism has been worthwhile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, you're not a rich man. No. You have no superannuation. So. No, uh, well, you know, but are you satisfied? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, you just you just got to do what you want to do. You know, people, a lot of people are unhappy because they're not doing what they want to do in life. Well, I'll die poor and probably a bitter old man. Maybe I don't know, but at this stage, I think I'm doing the right thing. I'm, and 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 my conscience is clear. I think I've done whatever I could to. What you sleep well in bed? I sleep well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you must be the only one left in Victoria. <laughs> nah. <laughs> no, no, there are a lot of other activists who sleep well. You got any? Any parting thoughts for young people who want to go on the road you've gone? Um, if yeah, look, try and get some uh, a, jo- uh, a qualification or job you can fall back on. Um, uh, it's not easy campaigning on nothing. So if you can, and you, there'll be periods of your life where you might want to have some time out, and uh, and you might need. It's always good if you've got a way to make money. I mean, a trade or something like that, mm, even. Mm. But at the same time, by doing that, you don't want to get swallowed up into the work world, which is what actually I've worked in jobs and been too knackered to do anything else but work. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a balance, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, it's like what a Gil, Gil Scott Heron, he said in one of his songs, he said, the trouble with peace is, is you can't make any money out of it. <laughs> That's right. And so, yeah, if you're involved in this path, um, yeah, you're not doing it for economic purposes, no. really. You're doing it for the... For the for for the love of what you do, and you know, well, the gr- great thing is you can look back and you can say, I've been involved in this, and this has occurred, and this, and if we weren't involved in this, this wouldn't be there. That's right, and yeah. that's that's the beauty of a life of activism. And I think the other thing, and well, just quickly, there's a big issue for is the incrementalist and the absolutionist. I think the absolutist view, wherever you want everything now. Uh, that you're going to lead to burnout a lot quicker than if that's you right. if you say, well, one step at a time. That's right. There are meteorites and stars, and we've met a star today, Mr. Anthony Amos. So thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. And, yeah. and people don't realise that meteorites burn out, as yep. you saw in the Murchison meteorite. Oh, I did. That was when my yeah, in Wangaratta. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you've proved you've you've went down the different path. And you said I need to be a star. So congratulations. <laughs> on a life well lived, and hopefully there's another thirty or forty years ahead of you to continue the work you've been doing. Thank yeah. you for coming to Radical Australia. Thank you. Everybody knows the good guy.
guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates And a long stem Just had to meet without 